This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell and Chris Field here for The Church Boys, and we have a very interesting guest on today who I'm excited to talk with. It is former Navy SEAL Commander Work Denver. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So thanks for coming on. Now, you have done, obviously, uh, some amazing things in your background, and the most uh, recent amazing thing you've done is write this book called Worth Dying For. Um, So I guess before we get into all, because I have a million questions for you about making America great again, about um, the Islamic State and a bunch of other things, but tell me about the book. Why did you write it? And just take me through a little bit about that process. Yeah, of course. You know, we're we're a nation now that's uh, a decade and a half into sustained combat, longer than we ever have been in any previous engagement. And I'm sadly of the belief that we may well now be a nation permanently at war. I mean, that on some level, permanently at war with the way the world is unfolding. And I think if you if you believe that to be true, or if you believe it even to be close to true, then we better have the voice of of thinking warriors kind of in the national dialogue. So informing current leadership, uh, the public, and 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 world events with the experience we've we've taken often from the battlefield. So it's it's a reflection of time spent on the battlefield. It's a projection of I think um, some things we could do to make the country stronger, make our culture stronger, and uh, and that's what I was trying to wrestle with with this book. And what good timing for it, because honestly, I mean, first of all, we have an election year, obviously, and it's probably one of the nuttier election years we've had in a while in terms of just strange things happening, strange, strange people, strange things, everything is strange. Um, But it comes at a time that is one of the scariest times for people, I think, in recent memory, if if and you and you mentioned the sustained combat. Um, I mean, it's been a long time now. You've served all over the world, um, and and obviously you have deep experience um, with some of these themes, some of the things that we're seeing unfold. What? Let me. This is a loaded question, but I'm just going to throw it out to you. What most sure. trouble troubles you about the landscape? Like what's going on in terms of ISIS and just the world at large? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think the the thing that scares me the most it, it will be the self inflicted wounds and and the fact that uh, you know our our nation, which I think has stood for you know freedom and liberty and and been you know kind of a beacon of 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 western ideals and and um the possibilities that unfold when you you exist in that system kind of abdicating the throne and 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 pulling off that line i i think in the vacuum of leadership uh i don't think it surprises certainly any any warrior and 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 particularly the folks that that were in special operations command seals rangers sf guys the guys i spent my time with are surprised that in the vacuum of that leadership and and pulling away that that the world is descending even further into chaos so i'd say the thing i fear the most is is internal and the decisions we're going to make about how we 
position ourselves and, and behave in the world, um, you know, enemies are, are beatable. There's no one we can't beat in a fistfight. That part I'm not worried about. It's just the, the, the lack of willingness to do that uh, becomes scary. And, and I'm, I'm by no means uh, a warmonger. If you read, read my book and, 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 and spend time with me, I'm not somebody that wants to just, uh, you know, turn the world into a parking lot and, and make our enemies disappear. That being said, I'm, I'm willing to fight when it's time to fight. Right. Well, and it's um, were you going to ask something, Chris? Well, no, I was I was going to ask what does that look like then? So your what what our position should be in the world? What what is it that you would advocate for? What's the what's the correct position that that at least this this the current president is going to be out soon? He's essentially a lame duck. What should the what should the candidates, Democrat and Republicans, be campaigning on? Yeah. No. I mean, it's of course. Uh, you know, punching holes that it's easy and coming up with solutions is the hard part. And, and there's no there's no easy solution um, to this fight. And, and we, we, we'd be talking to exhaustion on, on the specifics of how you build a tactical plan to do it. What I can say is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm an outdoorsman. So above and beyond being, being a warrior, I love to be outdoors. I like to hunt and fish and, and, and spend my time out in the wild. And, and one thing you learn very, very quickly is that the, the, the natural world is this, you know, tale of, of, predation and survival and fighting for your place in the food chain. And, and the one thing that you figure out very quickly is nobody messes with a grizzly bear or a lion, right? Like nobody goes right. up and pump, pokes a, a grizzly bear in the eye because they know what the, the, the results will be, what the, what the consequences right. of that behavior right. will be. So there's a level of strength that I think you need to maintain and then a willingness to respond um, when someone, you know, when somebody violates that strength that, that just, makes you more secure in the world. I mean, they, they, you know, bullies don't pick on the strong kids. They pick on the kids that have their heads down and are kind of not carrying themselves in a tough way. And I, I think in the past few years, we've just kind of gotten away from a level of cultural and, 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 and certainly political toughness that existed before. And I think in that vacuum, like I was saying, uh, folks like ISIS and, and, and those organizations feel emboldened. And I, I have to believe as much as anything, our, our allies are the ones that are probably losing sleep at night thinking, boy, I thought that, you know, those guys had our back for a long time. Doesn't feel like they do right now. This is a scary world um, without our big, you know, big brother in there to be in the fight. Uh, you know, how to attack ISIS is very, very challenging. They don't, they don't run a flag and don't have a headquarters the same way right. uh, traditional militaries have and traditional enemies have on the battlefield. That being said, uh, special operations forces are uniquely designed to go hunt um, the heads of these organizations and hunt the, the, the centers of gravity and disrupt them and at least let them know that there's consequences for your behavior. I think if, you, if there isn't consequence for the, their behavior, there will be tremendous growth and strength that'll be drawn from them. Now you said you said that the, you know bullies, and I, and I I get this, bullies don't go after the tough kid, right? And and they've they've come after right. us because we've shown we've we've decided not to play the role, uh, whatever terminology, play the role of the tough kid. When does it become a sure. fact? When does it become a fact that we are no longer the tough kid? Yeah, no, I, so it's a good question. <laughs> I'm not sure when you, when you are able to say that. And I, and I hope, uh, we're very, very far from it. And I, and I believe we are. I, I think the beauty of this country is that, um, while the folks that seem to be the standard bearers, uh, can often be, uh, you know, wild to watch and, and not necessarily represent the, the core of what this country is about. So I think when you, you know, if you fly over the middle of this country, there's still a bunch of folks that if there was a fight to be had, they'd, gra they'd grab a gun out of their uh, gun cabinet and go to the fight and, and, and do that job. I, I know our military is capable of prosecuting any mission 
um, the world would ask of it. I've, I've seen a lot of people saying, "Oh, you know, we can't we can't sustain the fight much longer." I, I don't believe that's true. I think we're we're well equipped, prepared, and trained uh, for any fight that's out there. It's just it's just picking those wisely and and recognizing what that means. I mean, there's there's it's telling that we have bases, military bases in Germany and Japan and, and these places where we once were at war with a nation and then have created a lasting peace and even commerce and, and, uh, a level of, um, you know, a level of, of rapport with, with countries like that. I mean, we don't need a base in Germany anymore to keep the, you know, the Germans in line. That's not what I'm saying. But when you go into one of those fights, you absolutely are, are are in for the duration. You don't get to do um, the quick engagement and probably leave. Now, I think based on the, the multi-headed um, kind of snake that is this current enemy, quick strike and all over the place type fighting being prepared to bring the fight where they are is probably what's required just to keep them off balance as much as anything. Right now, well, you know, it's, I, I, it, go ahead, Billy. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's interesting. Under Bush, you know, the critique was Bush went into Iraq and shouldn't have, and you know, we can, that's a, a five-hour debate right there that people could have. But of course. But, but yeah. then you move into, okay, well, Obama's strategy was sort of the polar opposite of, you know, we're going to set timetables. We're going to let everybody know when we're leaving. And then this we're going to solve this problem. It'll be fixed. And and it really, without bl- placing blame on anybody right now, I think we could all agree the situation right now is not any better and is many in many yeah. ways much, far worse and way more spread out than it was eight years ago. Um what would have been done differently, again, without putting you on the spot of having to critique anybody, but what would you have maybe done differently when it came to setting those timetables, you know, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I think you're armchair quarterback, and of course, when you do it now and look in hindsight, you have all the perspectives to kind of make good decisions. I think if you told me tomorrow, hey, redo the redo the strategy and build the entire plan from even, you know, 9-11 on, what I would have done, and I think we knew this going in, if if you're a student of history at all, seeing the Russians and all these empires, I mean, back to Alexander and his Macedonians that, you know, have have broken themselves against the mountains of Afghanistan and never really achieved anything there. So you know that's not a (laughs) long-range play that's going to work out. I I think we should have, I also spent a lot of time fighting those, those tribal warriors, and you just have a sense that they very much respect a fight. They respect fighters and they respect a fight. What they cannot bide is occupation, is people basically in their land. So if you mm-hmm. told me to do it again tomorrow, I'd say spend, you know, six to eight months, maybe a year in Afghanistan. I mean, in the in the, the short period of time that we launched and gained engagements there, I, I feel like we got rid of about 80% of the bad guys probably in the first year, probably less than that. And then just stuck a flag in the ground and said, hey, we want nothing of your country. We're not here to take any of your uh, your resources of which there aren't that many, but you know, we were not here to do this. We don't want to occupy you. You harbored a group of people that attacked and hurt our people. We, you hit us. We hit really hard. You don't want to get hit by us again. Don't do it again. And then dude literally left that mistake <laughs> in the ground so they could see it. When it came to Iraq, I think just because of a much more complex geopolitical set of circumstances with Iran and, 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 and regional actors and players and, and, and uh, you know, the folks that just exist in that part of the world is much more complex. Um, I think if you, you know, if you decide to go in, which we did, then you need to de- decide to stay for a much, much longer period of time. So even with the surge, when we kind of broke the back of the insurgency and the, the tribal awakening existed and, and, and kind of took root, we just left too early to allow them to, to have a chance at uh, running a government and running a, a viable country on their own. So, you know, it, it probably would have been a 10 or 15 year play 
um, from when we left to even think about getting them to a place where they could not create the vacuum where, where a group like ISIS just starts to flourish. No. Yeah. They, yeah. They also knew when we were leaving too. I mean, that's kind of the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, out, I, right. I mean, all that stuff, I mean, makes the warrior an absolute lunatic when you sit there and say, wait a minute, do we just show our poker hand right now? Cause I don't yeah. think that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really <laughs> tough to see that, see so that no, happen with, uh, politicians who talk about, you know, well, when I was in Iraq, you say, what do you mean when you were in Iraq, when you were in a like armored convoy that a nuclear weapon could destroy in some safe zone? Because yeah. the Iraq you were in is not exactly the same Iraq I was in. Right. <laughs> well, it's like it's very, it's very strange. Yeah, it's yeah. weird because it's, I, I'm, you know, I was I just on um, this weekend flew from from uh, flew down along the west coast here and, and stopped and had a layover in San Francisco. It's like me talking about the, the my my time in San Francisco this weekend. It's like, well, like you were in the freaking airport, you dope. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so you and I, I, I don't doubt at all what you said about the men and women, especially especially the seals. I mean, your your engagement, your time in military is especially around. I mean, for lack of a better word, and I'm not going to bleep myself on this, is surrounded by badasses. I mean, that's 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 what seals have a reputation for being: good guys, American, but also you know, tough as nails. Um. And I don't doubt that our that our that the men and women in our military uh, are capable and well trained, and and could take care of business if, if asked to. And you said that our military could win any fight that we want. But the, part of the problem where where I start to have that where I start to have a question about whether whether or not our military could do it isn't doesn't have to do with the men and women who do the the actual engaging and fighting. It has to do with I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, military leadership. And there is much a part of the military and, and disproportionately impactful of the military as our men and women who are actually pulling the trigger. Uh, does it no, seem to no you that, doubt, No doubt. So if, if, if it's military leadership that's a problem, can, our, can we honestly say that our military could win any engagement if our military leadership is a problem to begin with? Yeah, I mean, I, I, w I wouldn't go as far as saying, you know, military leadership is the problem. I, I actually or is think it civilian the, leadership? The, it, it's, 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 the, it's the collective, right? It, it's, it's senior leaders who, once you make a certain rank, and I mean, you're talking generals and admirals, the folks that, that start to bridge the divide between being still a warrior and also living in that political realm where you're dealing with the, the executive and highest level of civilian leadership – that group itself is the most challenging balance between what the military will do and what the civilian leadership is going to ask us to do. So our, our senior leaders do a fantastic job of advising and giving recommendations, and in the end they still need to follow uh, the directive of the Secretary of Defense and the, the, the president um, uh, driving those, uh, those directives down. And, and so you have to play – you, you kind of – on some levels have to play both sides against the middle. It's very, very challenging. And being in a special operations unit was um, probably a saving grace for me in that we would be given a directive of what we're trying to achieve in a region, but very rarely would we have ourselves moved around on the chessboard without our own decision on how to do that. We had tremendous freedom and, and creativity to kind of solve problems the way we knew they would get solved. And that's, that's always been the challenge. I, I love, uh, uh, I love Winston Churchill and, and reading a lot of, of his writings and his leadership of, uh, of, of the United Kingdom and, and, and Great Britain. And when he and when he was actually a young uh, cavalry officer, and he talks a tremendous about about that you got to keep this small collective of, of junior officers that actually have the on the ground 
in the field experience of what's happening and let them make tremendous decisions as well because a lot of the seniors that are sitting back in an air-conditioned office making decisions are not just don't have the context and and that's that's you know unbelievably challenging it's it's not yeah. easy i'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do i think the toughest thing being a warrior is that you know particularly with the 24-hour reporting cycle and the way you know, operations get nicked by a bunch of people that don't do that for a living. I mean, nobody, you know, we, we run an operation and then, you know, the you know, CNN and Fox and every news outlet on earth and then a bunch of reporters and then a bunch of people just, you know, on Twitter are starting to comment on, you know, what we should have done or how we could have done it differently. And you just scratch your head thinking from what, from what level of expertise are you now critiquing what I did? <laughs> I don't think anybody's walking into a, a brain surgeon at John Hopkins' office and be like, you know what? You should probably cut a little bit to the left. Right. Cut a little bit further to the <laughs> right. left. That would go right. really well. well no one's like, telling no, Ben I'm Carson what to do. the head of neurology at Johns Hopkins, so I don't, I don't need you to tell me anything about that. Right. It works I'm, the I'm, same way for us. It's, it's challenging. Right. But, I mean, to be, to be fair, and again, you're not going to find somebody more pro-military than I am, but to be fair, if that neurologist or that heart surgeon – is continually messing up, you start to say, well, maybe you should take a step back and take a look because I, I could, yep. I could screw up just as badly as you do, you know? Yep. And that becomes, the, that, that becomes the, the, the infinite challenge of being a foot soldier and, and dealing right. with the, the, the orders and the direction that when you know, there's a better way to do this. I know how to solve this and we could do this. And sometimes that falls very much on deaf ears. Now, let me ask let you me, another question about, uh, Billy, did you want to get into military stuff? Still, I was going to ask about ISIS things, but go ahead. Well, go ahead. Cause I want to, I want to transition to something else. A little, another, another, trans, another, so. another transition for you, huh, Billy? <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> so, this is just an ongoing joke. I'm sorry, Mark. All right. So let me ask you this outside of the military angle. Um, I heard it put on some podcast that I listen, another podcast I listen to, or, or someplace. Uh, how our military, how are not our military, how our media deals with ISIS attacks and different things, you know, attempted attacks or actual attacks, whether it's you know San Bernardino or Brussels or Paris or whatever, or you know, or when somebody's taken out before an attack can actually happen, and a lot of uh, notoriety is given to these people. They're, I mean, the kid, the kid in the in the Boston bomb is put on the cover of friggin' Rolling Stone for crying out loud. Yep. Okay, oh, yeah. so yep. that used to be, you know, streaking used to be a thing, right? And it would happen on national broadcasts of, of it would happen on national broadcasts of, of of baseball games or football games, and then the media went to, you know what? We're not going to show that anymore. And guess what? Right. It's it, for by and large, it stopped happening. Now that doesn't mean I, I'm not comparing. I'm not saying that terrorism is like streaking. Don't get me wrong. No, I'm tracking. But, I'm tracking. But is there yep. is there something that we can do, as you know, Billy and I are in media, and, and something that the national media can do to is what's the role that the media is playing in this? Are they giving it too much attention? Are they glamorizing too much? What is how 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 should we deal? responsibly as media when it comes to dealing with ISIS? Well, I, th I think it's multifold. I, I, I think uh, I, I agree with you totally on, on not giving credit to those that are seeking credit for their actions. I mean, I, I def the, the place I'd agree with you utterly are on these, you know, these homegrown active shooter events, right? Some kid shoots up, uh, you, you know, sure. uh, in Oregon or, 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 or Sandy, any, any of these events that take place at home with these active shooters, th those pictures should never go on. No name, no credit, no nothing. No way do you give, particularly young folks, I think, that are very, very confused and, 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 and picking horrible outlets for their discontent. Um, do you do that and feed it? 
the, the other thing that becomes true is when it comes to, you know, the current enemy, ISIS and some of those things, you know, they become masters of manipulating, um, you know, propaganda and media. So anything that comes up, they're going to, they're going to leverage, you know, voiceover and, and use it to their um, tremendous benefit. Yeah. I, w- what I see when it comes to the media and, and reporting, and, and I think you'll appreciate this just based on the conversation we're having right now is that there's, there's not much reporting anymore. It's just yeah. opinion. Like yeah. very rarely, like I don't even know where to go to get the facts anymore. I mean, most of it I read because I have a couple of people I like reading right. and, and I'll go to those sources and say, okay, this is what actually happened. Because now the, the entire conversation is opinion. It's, it, it's this, you know, 17 year old or 26 year old that just graduated from who cares where <laughs> that's going right. to give you their opinion right. on what they think they know. And right. I, I just don't want that. There was a time when, when people actually reported the news and said, this is what happened. And you got to make your own decision on what's going on. And there's, yeah. there's very little of that anymore. And that, that's, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, who wants somebody like Chris Field telling you oh, what nobody they think wants, about nobody cares. things, right? <laughs> exactly. Nobody cares, and rightfully so, they don't yeah. care what I think. They shouldn't. Well, let me ask, <laughs> because on that front, this is actually a very good transition into what I want to talk about. You know, <laughs> what's going on in the country right now politically, you know, this this whole notion of making America great again. What and and I'm not I'm not pigeonholing you into commenting on Trump, but sure. what would make America great again in your view? Well, you know, as a sh- and a shameless plug for my book, in, in Worth Dying For, I write a, a, an entire chapter on a, a couple of things. I'll, I'll share two things. One is the idea of service. I, you know, my experience being in the military has just been transformational in my life and, and being that I went into a, a, a profession that is completely focused on doing something better than yourself. And, and, you know, you're not, you're not going to the military to make a buck or, or get rich or do anything like that. You want to serve, you want to be in the fight and in the conversation and, and hopefully um, at the forefront of kind of current events. And, and little did I know how true that was going to be in the decade plus that I was there, but it's about service. It's about the person next to you and thinking of others before yourself. So I, I write a chapter about the idea of mandatory service. There's, you know, European nations, and Israel, different parts that require compulsory military service. And I, I didn't, I didn't actually specify that. What I, what I think it should be is every young American should give a year of service to the country. So when they graduate from high school, or you can defer four years if you're going right to college, but you don't get out of it. It's, it's like death and taxes. You're going to do it you give a year of service. Now that could be military. It could also be for some NGO, some relief organization. Uh, uh, you know, we could find that out. The Red Cross, whatever it is. I'd like to see it within American borders. So I'd like to see you do it here because this is the country I'm most concerned about right now. But I think if you took people from all over the country and young folks said, hey, on a subsistence type wage, I need to go give back or serve for a year it would be utterly transformational for this country. I just think it would be a magic thing to bring people together. Cause that's a, that's a real strength in the military. You get, you know, in my last assault team, I had a kid from the South side of Chicago. I had a kid from a real upper crust family from, you know, private schools in Connecticut. I had a surfer from California. I had a kid that grew up as a cowboy in Oklahoma and all of us come together and start seeing the battlefield and our job the same way. And those backgrounds give you tremendous, tremendous kind of cultural, socioeconomic, experience to kind of see that the world is not all one thing. And, and so, so that's, that's one part of it that I think would be, again, transformational, make this country a lot stronger, mandatory service for young folks. 
And then there's been a tremendous drift in our political leadership in their experiences. You know, in the 70s, I pulled this stat, but in, this, in 1971, Congress was made up of almost 80% former military members in Congress. I think the, the House was something like 72%, the Senate 78%. The current 114th Congress that, that, that is now, you know, we now enjoy is under 20% former military. So we're at about 18% of folks who serve in the military that now serve in public office. And it's just a tremendous shift from a worldly discipline focused background that we just don't have anymore in forming that body. And I think those two things could, uh, and I think a lot of young military from this battlefield are starting to throw their hat into that arena. And I think we'll be better for it. But I think both those things uh, could make the country a whole heck of a lot stronger. So what percentage, what percentage of the country is military service now? And why should it, why should uh, less than one half of 1%. So why should more than 20% of Congress be um, uh, military. I, I can't say why it should. I can just say it's it's shifted very dramatically. People okay. had a military background up until around uh, you know the the 80s and just had kind of gone through you know a level of uh, probably education and upbringing, a little bit of military service to you know test themselves, get involved in leadership and learn something about themselves and serve, and then go on to political service. And now we are dealing with an entire an entire populace of, of political. Um, folks are for the most part a preponderance of folks that are just career politicians. And, and I, I, I think, I don't think we're seeing as good of things from that as, as a, as a different path to that level of service. Right. And you think there would be a benefit in having people focused, having people with the skills you get in the military, having more of that in Congress would probably be a good thing. I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I, I'm for, I get why the, the, the idea or the concept of outsiders, you know, kind of taking over this um, or being a huge piece of this um, current um, election makes sense. I think people are tired of lifetime politicians and, and what that breeds. I've seen good arguments for the knowledge and the, and the um, kind of understanding of that system that lifetime politi politicians bring. I also have friends that are politicians. I'm, I'm friends with a, a governor that's, uh, you know, out in the Western States and he, you know, he was a rancher and then he decided to serve to kind of really help his state and work tough. And when he's done, he's out of there. He's not going to keep going and, and try and gain more power and move forward. And that that's the type of citizen, um, politician that I, I think would benefit the country. I have one more question. Chris, I don't know if you have any more, but my last question for you, have you endorsed anybody or do you plan to endorse anybody for president? I haven't. And I, and I don't think I will, you know, I, I have some friends that are, that are pulling pretty big, big strings in, in finance and campaign and, and helping push agendas and, and, and move folks forward. It, it has become at this point, I, I'm, I am a, constant optimist in my my last line of work if you were a fatalist that that was bad but this is a circus act the likes of which i've never seen i'm, I'm nervous that it's just a canary yeah. in the coal mine i mean it's i just bad. feel like it's a canary in the coal mine like if kanye and kim kardashian are not on the next ticket in the next election i'll be shot <laughs> it's so, bad it's so, a bad election it's, it's a bad. very bad it's bad Oh, it's, it's awful. bad yep. so so to, uh, so to end on a maybe i guess positive thing what's what is if there was one thing you could tell you could say to people campaigning for president or for any office, I suppose, a national office, or, you know, or congressional, federal office, let's say. Yep. You add this one thing to your platform, you add this one thing to your campaign, and you got my support. Oh, it's great. I, you know, one thing I talk about when it comes to leadership, and I and I, I wrote a little bit of this about in the book that I learned in the military was that 
one thing I've seen is people try in, in senior leadership positions, try and do too much and therefore accomplish absolutely nothing. Now, I get you're the president of the United States. You don't have the luxury of saying, I'm going to take on one issue and that's what I'm going to do. That being said, I would get excited about a candidate that said, I am going to attack let's call it two issues in my term, and I am going to get those across the line. If you vote me in and that's what you want me to do, I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. wh- whatever it might be, the, t- you know, the, 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 the tax code or, or, or VA benefits, <laughs> pick, pick whatever it is, but just do that. The, the thing that I found from some senior leaders that, that I was with in the military is they'd have 17 things on their task list. And two years later, when they relieved, when they relieved the command and moved on, they deliver 17 items to the next guy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they pick two, they'd at least deliver 15 to the next guy. And so I would just, the candidate said, you know what, I'm going to knock out this one thing. If I do that, I'll feel like my time was well spent. I'd vote for that guy. Right now, for sure. Right. Hmm. I love it. Well, this has been great. You have to agree to come back on again. It's not really an option. I'd love to. to. I'd love to. No, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. Sure. All right. Well, listen, this is great. We'll make sure we link out to the book. Any final thoughts? No, I, I I really appreciate the time. I think uh, you know I think all jokes and slogans aside, we can make this country get great again. I think it comes from service. I think it comes from thinking others before yourself. I think it comes from realizing that you know heroes just aren't on the battlefield. They can be everyday folks throwing their hat in the ring trying to make this place better. We do that, we'll we'll get it right. So so Billy, can we have him say the thing that we keep forgetting to have people say? Yeah, let's have him say. Okay, it. so Rourke, if you don't mind, and this will just be, you know, we'll keep this on the podcast, but we also want to clip this. Could you say something along the lines of, "This is Navy SEAL Commander Rourke Denver, and I never listen to the Church Boys." Say it one more time. This is Navy SEAL Commander Rourke Denver, and what? I never listen to the Church Boys. Sure, sure. Okay. This is Navy SEAL Commander Rourke Denver, and I never listen to the church boys that works <laughs> perfect thank i love you. it well listen, right this has been great thank right. you so much thank you no i enjoyed it i'd love to do it again let's stay in touch and, all right uh, all the best guys all right thanks, thanks a lot all right bye-bye thanks see you founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com.